Hello, investors. So in this episode, I spoke with my friend Marcin about raising capital. So Marcin, as you'll find out, is an expert in raising capital, uh, venture money. He's been dealing with uh, high-powered executives for years, and he gives us some insights on how what are the best ways to find money to finance pretty much any deal. So sometimes uh, Jennifer and I were looking at properties and we're wondering how can we finance this? Well, it is possible if you have a plan and you have a good network. So tune in to find out more. This podcast is brought to you by Streetwise Mortgages. Streetwise is a multi-award winning mortgage brokerage that services real estate investors across Ontario. If you are looking to grow a real estate portfolio to replace your income, supplement retirement and enhance your overall returns, the Streetwise team can help you develop a financing roadmap to scale up. They cover everything from capital sources to deal structure to opportunities to maximize your borrowing power to mapping out your future financing. Streetwise works both with clients who are starting out on their investment journeys as well as sophisticated investors with multi-million dollar portfolios. They have access to capital sources, including traditional, alternative, and private funds, and well-versed with the various investment strategies, including buy and hold, buy, renovate, refinance, rent, repeat, or the BRRRR, multi-residential, rent-to-owns, assignments, construction financing, and student rentals. To book a complimentary session with a Streetwise Income Property Advisor, go to www.streetwisemortgages.com or email the team at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine and Real Estate. I'm glad today to have Marcin Draws as a guest on my podcast, and we've been talking about it for months. We've tried a few times. I had to cancel, bad internet. Then Marcin, you were in BC and I think some forest fires or something was going on. And it's been very dramatic, but I think it's going to be really, really good. And I've attended Marcin's um, a few events that he's hosted about raising capital. And you'll be able to tell us a lot more, but I, I found some great value. I really enjoy what you taught. And I think a lot of people can benefit from your teachings. Uh, so could you introduce yourself? Give us a bit of an overview of where you're from, what you've done, and what you're up to these days. Sure, sure. Happy to do it. Uh, first of all, Francois, thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know, it's it's been a journey. I mean, since COVID started, so many of us have had to reinvent how we, how we live our lives, how we operate. Um, you know, having been stuck like so many, so many of your listeners at home, you know, I was looking for other things that I could do with my time. I, I used to, pre-COVID, I used to be on flights 50, 75 times a year, looking wow. at deals, meeting with investors. So there was a lot of time that all of a sudden I got back because of COVID. And um, at that time, a lot of my friends, colleagues were saying, okay, so, you know, tell me about this. How does this work? And we ended up kind of backing into what's become now the uh, M1 inner circle and the educational side. And, you know, my, my background, I, I guess I'll start there. I, I started out in, uh, in private equity when I was in my early 20s. Uh, prior to that, I was buying uh, houses, you know, smaller little deals. 
And, and, you know, probably like so many of your listeners, I, I read a few books, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad really stuck out in my mind. And, and I'm reading about these $30,000, $45,000 bed one pass. And I'm just like, and where this are is, they? <laughs> where are these things, right? But it was, uh, you know, it was early 2000s in Ontario. And you could still find markets where houses were relatively, especially compared to today, relatively cheap. And, you know, I'm in my mid-teens, late teens, and I'm out there looking at deals, calling realtors, you know, driving to meet with city officials, looking at city plans, and just just trying to just, just trying to figure out how to do the real estate thing. Um, you know, had some success, uh, bought a few properties, and then I was lucky enough to get recruited by a private equity firm out west. And you know, got got uh, got proposed to work there. Didn't ask about the money. Didn't ask about perks. I didn't care. I just packed my stuff, got in my car, and just, just gone. Yeah, nice. I just I wanted the exposure, right? Because to me, you know, I like I've I've spent money on courses and I've spent money on training and mentorship and coaching and all that stuff's great. But if you can actually be in the trenches and do the stuff yeah. with people that are doing it, I mean that there's just no replacement for that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, got really got really uh, lucky to have that opportunity. Took the opportunity, um, raised uh, tens of millions of dollars at that PE firm uh, in in equity for all kinds of different deals. Uh, we did land assembly, multifamily. We did commercial, um, just just everything but I think hospitality and industrial. So we we did a lot of different things, and I got exposed to the deals, the structures, the legal, the accounting, the it was just really cool. And I'm in my early 20s and I'm sitting in rooms and I remember sitting there and I'm just making notes casually of words I've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> to look them up. <laughs> yeah, because I'd go home and I'd start Googling these words to understand what things meant because if you, you know, you need to understand the words, you need to understand the context of what you're dealing with before you can actually dig into the content. Otherwise, everything is shiny everywhere. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, spent uh, spent a few years doing that. Um, then had the good fortune to break out on my own, um, put together a few uh, partnerships, few LPs, few mutual fund trusts, few different entities, uh, raised capital. Things worked, things didn't work. There's, you know, you learn, you make mistakes, you get better. And um, you know, fast forward to today, I'm uh, focused on multifamily, uh, primarily uh, in the United States and the Southeast. Okay, that's excellent. Well, quite a story. And I think I, I heard you had a new arrival in your family as well, not long ago. So that's a big life change as well. <laughs> yeah, I have a new boss at home. Uh, I now have two beautiful ladies uh, are in charge of my day to day affairs. Um, can't figure out which one's more stubborn yet, but uh, that's, <laughs> yet be, that's yet to be told. Um, yeah, thank you. No, we had we had a daughter two weeks ago. Wow, congrats. That's a big game changer for sure. Mm -hmm. And a future um, heir yeah. to all this uh, empire you're building. So I'm sure it's it will become part or is become a part of your why as well, why you're doing all of this and, and buying and selling properties and well, mostly buying, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like the strategy of, uh, I think I've heard uh, Jason Hartman say this down in the US, uh, refi till you die. So yeah. you buy properties with the intention to refinance them perpetually and continue to buy more assets and never really go out of your way to sell because, you know, as you and I both know, it's a lot of work to find a great opportunity. So why the heck would you sell it? 
that said and when you sell you're turning off the the pipe like the the pipeline for this this wealth building you just have to find maybe you need to pivot the strategy depending on the size of property of course i mean if you have 120 apartments you can't turn them into airbnb but if it's a smaller place you can add maybe some income streams and well, larger units as well you you can add things like how what are you doing uh, marcin to increase value usually so uh the last so the last two buildings we bought were heavy value adds one was 82 townhouses one was 178 apartments and uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, down in the southeast, there, uh, you know, we paid low twenties, mid mid twenties a door. I no. think. <laughs> I mean, you can't fix your kitchen for what I paid for these apartments, and you know, you're getting entire apartments for that wow. price. Um, so what we're doing is these two in particular are very heavy value adds. Um, most of a substantial portion of both of these properties is down to the studs repairs. Mm. Uh, some of them are classic units that you can renovate. Um, you know, just just really regentrify the area. There's 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 a lot of opportunities still, even in this in this market in 2021 and beyond, where there's this massive demand of rental housing because people are either priced out of the market, they can't afford to buy, uh, or they don't want to pay the higher end rents to have things like a pool or all the other amenities or marble countertops they'd rather save three four five hundred bucks a month and just have a clean safe and affordable place to live and yeah we go into markets where you can uh, where you can do that and at the same time you know you're regentrifying the area you're increasing the tax base and you're creating a you know a tremendous opportunity for you know for your investors so yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I mean, there's so many places, like you said, that need clean mm -hmm. and affordable housing. It is a big problem in Canada because uh, the demand is so high. Is it is it the same in the United States? Like in the Ooh. well, Francois, I think I think it's consistent across North America. I was it's funny. I was reading a report yesterday. It talked about. Uh, affordability on a worldwide scales and I'll yeah. forward the support to you. I, I don't remember. It was, it was from a credible source. I remember, but it, it, the way it defined affordability is it took the median wages of an average family in a certain uh, major market and it multiplied by how it divided how many times you needed to divide the family's income into the price of a house. Mm -hmm. And obviously the more times it divides, the more expensive it is. So, for example, if a family makes $50,000 as a family and a house is $150,000 or less, that's affordable because it's three times, that's four times. Yes. Yeah, four that's times. That's not the case anymore here. It, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in, in the GTA Toronto, if the, even if a family makes 100000 as a family, which is considered pretty good for most average you know, incomes, yeah. uh, that's 100000 So you, you're not going to get a house, let alone uh, you know, a condo for 300000 no. And, and what that means is, as you and I very well know, is the higher the multiple is, the harder it is for people to afford to buy. So they need to rent. And, you know, that uh, division of people that are being, you know, pushed into the rental side of the equation is much higher than it's ever been before because of the affordability. So, um, yeah, there's there's tremendous demand for sure. Canada, U.S. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think the rental demand is only going to increase. Absolutely. Well, we're the culture is changing. Like people were more <laughs> and more homeowners. But um, yeah, I've read a few reports as well. The middle class is kind of um, 
a blip in time and it's being pushed out either up or down and that's what's happening so but it's very smart to be buying those apartments that are affordable to most people that way you're kind of recession proof you're not in the high-end rentals with heated floors and like you said granite and and indoor pool you have something that everybody well most people can afford so some people might go downgrade and some people are upgrading to your units so it's it's a great model yeah well and and i mean regardless of and i have these debates almost daily you know what's going to happen with interest rates what's the fed going to do what's the canadian government going to do you know what about this what about that what about inflation what about all these things and i and i just think to myself i go look practically speaking I'm never the guy that's going to go invest in a high flying market. I'm not the guy that's going to go chase tourism or hospitality, or there's this one employer that's opening up shop here. So let's all pile on there. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's not me. I've always, if you look at any of the markets I've invested, you know, in Canada, I remember I was very, I'm still bullish on, uh, you know, central Canada, Winnipeg, there's markets there. And, and I always liked, so Winnipeg is an example. I loved Winnipeg because it's a, it, it's a, if you look at the pie chart of the employers, it is just so many different, so diversified, exactly. And and I love that because people have jobs, people go to work, people will continue to be able to afford to live there. You're not going to have breakout years, you know, notwithstanding COVID, but I look for that discipline throughout the U.S. So, you know, for me, Memphis was huge because, again, very diversified logistics, healthcare, all the different employers. There's markets all throughout the U.S. that that have that type of mentality. And to your point, as you have, you know, more people end up in the rental side of the equation, they're always going to prioritize. Pri pardon, Pardon me. Prioritize clean, safe, and affordable housing. That's it. That's not negotiable. <laughs> yeah. In places where there's jobs, as long yeah. as there's 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 an opportunity to go to work, you need a place to live, yeah. and, and that that's really all there is to it. Yeah, and a lot of American cities, like I, I invest in Detroit and mm -hmm. other other cities, they've seen the center empty out, but now work is coming back to the cent the core. There's a lot of, uh, well, various uh, economies and things happening. Yeah. And those areas are a lot more affordable. It's the opposite of Canada. Most downtowns in Canada are very expensive. In the U.S., a lot of cities, it's the opposite, the downtown. Yeah, you're, you're right. Actually. I never thought about it that way, but you're, you're totally right. And the thing that makes those inner city plays, especially in the, it, the, coming back into the U.S. now, so much more viable is that if you look at the replacement cost of all of that infrastructure, it, it's it's insane. I mean, you know, yeah, it gets yeah. back to the inflation conversation, right? Like, so so they're regentrifying all these older buildings and neighborhoods because why not? That money's already been spent to build the roads, build the infrastructure, get the sewage there, get the electricity in place, the buildings there, maybe the buildings reusable outside of the interior, right? So yeah. there's there's so many reasons to to look at that for sure and parks and and it's just for, for the environment it's much better to build a more compact city mm -hmm. or, and do infill like we're seeing a lot in canada a lot of infills in the states they have a lot more filling to do in the middle <laughs> in some cities like buffalo yep. and other very depressed cities but memphis was it ever like detroit? like not as bad as detroit but 
kind of abandoned in the core or not? Or Well, yeah, Memphis as well had an issue where they really pushed, um, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the city planners, but from what I can tell is that they really had a push for apartments and they had this sprawl. I think it was back in the, um, was it between the seventies and the eighties maybe where they really started pushing further out. And what ended up happening is there was a little bit of a decaying in the center or near the center where a lot of these uh, larger multifamily projects, people started leaving these areas fleet, you know, for the, the burbs and, you know, the white picket fence and all this stuff because people improved their economic circumstances. And then it, to your point, it left this deteriorating Mm -hmm. interior which now has to get backfilled because there's no housing. Yeah, like it's been vacant lots and mm-hmm. or like you like you're buying dated buildings, buildings with maybe condemned units or Oh yeah. Stuff oh yeah. That's really not not habitable, so Francois, there was a building we put an offer on. We were negotiating. It was almost 200 doors. It was earlier um this year. Early, yeah, earlier this year, it was almost 200 doors. And uh, uh, as we were negotiating, the city came in and condemned, I think, half of the units because oh of uh, mold and mildew. We, we knew the mold and mildew was, yeah. we, we knew some mold and mildew was there, but the city, I, I don't know how they, they just went in there and they condemned the building. It was just, hmm. so yeah, and, and this isn't a one-off. There are tons of these buildings that were built in the, you know, 70s or 80s vintage where they're in a terrible state of disrepair. And, you know, some of them aren't worth re- rehabilitating just because they're so far gone. Yes. But, you know, we, we try to pick through the, you know, find the needle in the haystack and find those that, you know, still have good bones and you can uh, bring back to uh, to market. Uh, no- another property, I'll share this quickly with you, was 80 doors or 85 door, something 80 something doors. <laughs> and we put it, we put an offer on it. We're in due diligence. And it was odd to me that the seller of the property uh, had only owned it for a couple of months and he'd paid cash. So I'm like, hmm, why are you selling? <laughs> Just, so, so, you know, and obviously he's not offering anything. So we spent a couple hundred bucks to check the sewage lines. Uh, well, wouldn't you know it, the sewage line was cracked to the city. Oh. So, you know, that would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars easily to fix. Wow. So that's right. why they're selling it. Well, I think what happened is they bought it cash. They never checked the lines. And then when they bought it, because when somebody buys something without financing, you, you don't have the benefit of the bank's uh, forced due diligence. So yeah. speak, right? Because a bank will force you to do certain things before they lend on the property. Absolutely. Uh, you need environmentals or all these different things. Um, so when somebody buys something cash and then they're inclined to sell it three or six months later, that kind of makes me ask more questions yeah. and sure enough, he bought it cash never checked the didn't do his underwriting um you know uh, i guess it's 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 up to him or her to, to do it the way they want to it's their money but um yeah that they probably then wanted to start fixing the property and they realized well sure enough you know you got this uh, liability here wow and that's a big one i mean that's important uh, you're talking about rehabbing units but now this is way above and beyond just oh minute. that's the worst because nobody is going to give you any value for that they don't no. care. like just make it work and that's it who cares <laughs> i don't care there's certain things that add no value but are required yeah the like roof, a roof parking and... lot running water you know yeah. 
there's certain things that nobody gives you any value for because it's expected to be there. Yeah. So how do you help people or investors through your program kind of sift through all that? Like how, yeah. how do you evaluate a building? Is it too far gone or is there still enough? Like what are good bones? Of course, the structure, <laughs> but now you mentioned the uh, like sewer, la sewage, uh, and all that, like what else do you look at? Well, I mean, the, the, there's plenty of people out there that provide great education on underwriting and looking at properties. And I'm sure you and I know a lot of the same people. Where, where I really uh, enjoy uh, mentoring and educating is on the capital side. Because for okay. me, for me, the, it, it, just, it seemed odd to me that there was very limited resources in, in, this, in this space for people that are trying to figure out how to scale. And I don't mean, you know, I mean, there's ways out there you can do vendor take back mortgages, you can do a few things here and there. But ultimately, if you're going to scale the business in any meaningful long term way, you're going to need equity. Well, that's I mean, it. Yeah. The VTB, it's kind of marginal and it's not all markets. And Well, and VTBs are fantastic. I've used VTBs. They're great. It's a great way to, to you know, reduce the amount of equity you need. But ultimately, you still need uh, money. <laughs> you still need money. You're going to need money. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as, as good as we've been in what we do, I can't tell you that we're buying 100, 200 door buildings with no money. It just, no. it just doesn't work that way. Right. So, um, learning how to put together the equity, learning how to structure the deal, um, learning how to properly position things to investors. That that's one of the things that I, I really kind of get get excited about. I mean, there's a lot of rules around raising money. I'm not a yeah. lawyer. I'm not the guy that's going to legally tell you how to do things. That your your securities lawyer, U.S. Canada will will do that for you. But the things that they won't tell you to do is how to create demand. You know how to create scarcity. How to show people that the deal makes sense in a way that they can understand it. These are some of the things that you know I really enjoy doing. And um, yeah, we we host uh, we have a uh, usually it's monthly. Sometimes it's bi-monthly. We do an event called the Mastermind, uh, how to raise capital. And you know we have um, I forget what the cost is, but you know any any of your members, any of very the people, affordable. <laughs> yeah, any, any any of the members, any of the people listening to your podcasts, um, you know they, they we have we have coupon codes and all. The event for me is fun. I enjoy it. And, um, you know, we usually have between 100 and 200 people registered and, you know, we have a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, and I've had the chance to attend and I've made some great contacts. And mm -hmm. I, as you know, I'm in Ottawa. So there's actually a few people from Ottawa. We've met in person. After oh, great. Event. Yeah. So there's really a community building around it, <laughs> which is great. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it's really important, as you mentioned, to scale. Uh, so what you do in essence is really syndication if i'm correct you're you're pooling resources yeah yeah i mean the level the level that we operate on when we're buying you know 100 200 300 unit buildings then yeah we're, we're definitely syndicating i mean in addition to the gp the general partners contributing some of the equity required um we we rely heavily on the lps yeah. um, sometimes the raises are a couple million dollars and you know, the buildings are tens of millions of dollars. So it, it, it's all relative. And uh, what it does, is it gives people uh, the, the framework that we use at that level that they can take down and apply to a level of, hey, you know what, I'm just trying to buy a fourplex. I'm just trying to buy yeah. two. I'm just trying to buy an 18 unit building in XYZ city. So, you know, one of, um, 
I'll share this with you. One of the concepts that we share is called uh, the EASY system. And EASY stands for uh, E-A-S-Y, exclusive, abundant, scarce, and in your allocation. So as an example, Francois, most people, when they call people for uh, a commitment, they're just stumbling and they're all over the place. And they're just all nervous. Nervous. <laughs> and talking themselves into circles that are almost... Uh, you know, shy to, to, to request or ask for the commitment. So yeah. the, the system that I created, uh, so the E exclusive is you would simply just go into what's exclusive about the opportunity. So, you know, we're buying 178 units, we're paying X per door, uh, the value in the area is Y per door, the market is growing by X, here's what it would cost you. Like just what is exclusive about your opportunity? Yeah. It's really important. You have to be able to do that in 30 seconds because as excited as you are to talk about the compressing cap rates and, you know, the uh, loan to cost or loan to replacement or the all this different stuff, your investors don't care. Like, no. <laughs> do, but most, trust me, most really don't. They just, they're, they're trying to understand it from their world. So exclusive, yeah. 30 seconds. What makes your deal unique, exclusive? Abundant is the A. So abundance, it's important that you have a lot of people to talk to on the investment side. Yes. You can't have one person or a handful of people that you're relying on for every single deal because that becomes, I mean, in, in, in the institutional world, that becomes a power play and it's not in your favor because you're too reliant on one source of funding. So you have to make sure that your investors understand that you have an abundance of people to talk to. Yeah. As scarcity, the opportunity, if it's, a if it's an exclusive opportunity, you've got an abundance of people to talk to, you have a truly scarce opportunity for them to participate in X, Y, Z. It's important that you, you know, make that clear to them. And then Y is the your allocation. So in other words, you know, Mr. Prospect, you know, if this opportunity checks your boxes for due diligence, what kind of allocation would you be looking at? Now, I'm oversimplifying this as I know you know, because this this is a pretty extensive training that we go into, but it gives you a framework to at least start from so you don't get on the phone and go, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, because people, <laughs> you got to make it easy for them. And, and, yeah. they have to, and, and you always have to leave the environment better than you found it. So if you create a toxic or awkward conversation with somebody, I mean, you're done. You're not going to go back to them. No, and that's how they respond. And yeah. it's so important to to cultivate those leads and get to know what what they're looking for and, and yeah. all that. So this is important. Great, great points. I love the easy. How did you say it? Easy. Um, oh, it's the easy system. Easy yeah. system. Yeah, it's so true. I get calls and people asking me all the time, oh, I need money for a project. Well, do you have a network? Have you build, been building that network? And I always talk about a sales funnel. I was in sales for many years. Mm -hmm. So what you're describing very much sounds like a sales funnel. You have an abundance of people and you may have an abundance of projects and then you kind of connect the people to the projects because you end up knowing them. Uh, Marcin, do you have some sort of CRM or how do you keep track of all these people <laughs> like those contacts? And 
Yeah, I mean, we, we have, for our purposes, we have a few different CRMs. We, we obviously have one for the real estate investor business where we're training real estate investors, which is what you and I are talking about. And then we have continuity programs for our existing investors that are part of previous transactions, whether it's quarterly updates or annual financials, uh, you do appreciation events. So there's, you're right, Francois, there are systems and processes, and it is incredibly important to have that if you want to scale because guess what you're not going to be able to do it all you just you can't and and if you want to that's okay but you're going to hit a wall at five or ten doors and you know if 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 that's all you want to do then that's okay but to go beyond that then you know you need you need to have those uh those systems and feeding into those systems you have to have a replicable way to continue to nurture those conversations exactly Uh, i was just talking with my wife we're like oh our investment partner are we giving them christmas gifts and different things so it's important i know this is very small scale like i don't do the size of deals you do Uh, but just maintaining relationships i often go and have dinner with certain partners like Mm -hmm. building that network and then those people actually end up calling you, hey, do you have another deal? So I'm sure the same happens to you. Uh, and you just kind of mentioned it there, like what's next? And you keep showing them more deals and they know where to put their money in the future. So. Yeah. And you know what? It's 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 not um, it's not complicated. I mean, I know some people, even myself, when I first started out, I thought it was a lot more complicated and elaborate than it was you know like what do you do for your investors do you buy them stuff do you take them to hockey games like how do you do it what do you do and honestly i've been at this for 15 years it's the little things that make all the difference uh it's not the big elaborate you know shows of you know wealth or extravagance it's the little things like i remember i had one investor who's uh, really uh, passionate about fishing right he was telling me he was having an off time he wasn't catching any fish so remember that game with the fishing, with the little fish that open and close their mouth with a magnet? Yeah. The little yeah. thing that goes in a circle, like the little toy thing? Yes. So I bought him one of those and I mailed it to him. And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, here's something to help you get your fishing game back on track. And he was just laughing. <laughs> yeah, he just thought about him. Yeah, and it's it so true. It's just silly. It was a $3 thing at the dollar store. I just, I was walking by, I saw it, I laughed, I picked it up, put it in an express post, sent it to him. He laughed. It was just, it, it's just, you know, and I would do that for any of my friends as well. Like, it's not like, I was trying to, it's not like I sent him that and then I called him the next day and said, hey, by the way, I have this deal. Like, it's just, you just build build rapport with these people. Like, you know, you eventually get to a point where they call you and they're like, hey, what are you working on? Yeah. Well, that's it. It's really, it's all about relationships. Yeah. Yes, money, of course, but it's the relationship and the value you bring. So this is huge. And that's why people call you because they've they've seen now your track record. And uh, that's, that's excellent. Great. Well, uh, and, and 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 you build that familiarity because look, it's only a matter of time before something doesn't work the way you thought it would. It yeah, happens yeah. to all of us, me included. Uh, you know, if you're in this business long enough, it's going to happen. Deals won't go the way you thought they would. Things will happen. But if you're if you're always coming from a good place and you're genuine in your approach and you're you're sincere and you're communicating, then you'll work your way through it, whatever it is. And then when things happen really well, then you know it's just. It, it, um, it, you're never as smart as you think you are when things are going well, and you never, you're never, you're never as dumb as you feel. No. <laughs> so it's just having that consistency is very important. 
Yeah, key marketing words there, consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important to, and in relationships and everything we do. So, Marcin, yeah. if people want to get started with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you or connect with you? Sure. I mean, I, I, I recommend they go to the website, marcindros.com. They can see some of the events. They've got some free resources there that they can download, sign up. We've got a newsletter that we put out as well. Uh, we do lots of stuff for free or near free. Um, just to help people kind of get familiar with what we do and and make sure they like it. Um, We have an inner circle where we have a paid membership where we uh, drill for skill on a weekly basis and just really make sure that people are uh, in tune. Um, You know, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars of students have raised so far, but it's it's probably a lot. Um, and, And it's just little tweaks, right? So that's excellent. And do you have a final word of advice, something you really want to share? <laughs> uh, yeah, have more than one kid. <laughs> yes. No, it's so important uh, if if you can. I mean, I, I have two and it's important to have yeah. Yeah, more than one because otherwise you'll spoil them to death. That's probably yeah. what you're, you're going to stay there. <laughs> well, well, that and uh, eventually I want the older one to look, look after the younger one too, right? Yes. So. <laughs> I'm, mine are at the age where my son drive your sister there drive your sister here drive her there <laughs> really perfect <laughs> you yes. don't look old enough to have kids that can drive that's impressive oh, I'm, i'm 41 my son's gonna be 18 in a few well in a month and a half now so <laughs> wow well yeah. done thank you very much so it's been a pleasure yeah and uh yes thank you and let's stay in touch and see what's next sounds good thanks francois cheers Hello, investors. So you've been thinking about scaling your business, your portfolio, getting into real estate investing, but you don't know where to start. Or you've been an investor for a while and you've hit a wall. So financial roadblock or your market is tapped out or you're just tired of the landlord and tenant board if you're in Ontario. I have a solution for you. So I've set up recently two new Facebook groups. One is called the Creative Real Estate Investor Beta Group. It's free for anyone to join. Look it up on Facebook. I'd love to see you there. I provide a one hour free group coaching on that group every month. And I have great guests as well coming on and lots of exchange happening. I also have the Alpha Group. So same thing, but it is a paid group. So it's $97 US per month, but you also get discounts for one-on-one coaching with me. And I have all kinds of guests that are uh, more exclusive. We're going to have some insider information, information about pre-construction opportunities, deals in other countries, states, and uh, private lending, private lenders, joint ventures, you name it. Anything related to real estate will be there. So I'd love to see you there. You can also send me an email, flhomescorp at gmail.com to find out more. Cheers. Hey there, listeners. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of the Wine and Real Estate Podcast. Yes, absolutely. You can find us on Instagram. Our handle is wine underscore and underscore real estate. So wine and real estate on Facebook, FL Homes Corp. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel. Yes. And please make sure to give us a rating, five stars (laughs) or any comments. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we love suggestions as well. Cheers. Yeah. Chin chin. Thank you.